You know, I don't know about you, but when I read Hebrews chapter 11, and I think about all those people who are mentioned in there in that hall of fame of faith, a lot of times I get pretty intimidated. You know, it would, it would be easy to do so. As the writer there lists all those people that we read about in the Old Testament and, and the things that they did by faith and, and all of that. But then we really have to kind of sit back and realize that for many of those who were listed, faith was a struggle. It was not something that just came easily to them. Uh, We see that Abraham, we looked at Abraham for several weeks not too long ago. Abraham struggled with his faith in God. Gideon struggled in his faith in God. David struggled as well. Moses struggled in his faith with God. And I'm reminded of a quote that I heard many years ago. It says, faith is more like a street than a parking lot. And I kind of like that. I don't think we ever get to the point where we have arrived in our faith, but it's an ongoing process. It's a journey, not a destination, as it were. And I was thinking about our studies on Sunday morning in in Peter. And I was thinking about, you know, if all we knew about Peter is what we read in 1st and 2nd Peter, even if all we knew about Peter was that and what we read about Peter in the book of Acts, you know, we would have a totally different picture of who Peter was. We'd have maybe a little different picture of Peter's faith. I'd probably be a little intimidated by Peter. But you know, Peter's journey of faith doesn't begin in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And we find that in Peter's life, Peter often struggled with his faith. That he did not always have an awesome faith, as we would call it. If you have your Bibles, you might turn to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats there left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And I was thinking here, if I was going to describe Peter's faith at this point, I use the word insincere. Because there is a sense in which at this point, Peter's faith is insincere. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly how it works. I'm not, go ahead, Johnny. I'm not sure whether or not Peter had already been in connection with Jesus or this is the first time he met him. 
But Peter had been out fishing all night long. He'd come in. He was washing his nets. He was getting everything, you know, ready to go to the house. I don't know about you. But you know how it is when it's quitting time. And the boss comes in and says, I need you to get this done before you go home. Or whatever. When it gets close to quitting time, it's quitting time. It's time to go home. And I'm sure Peter kind of felt like that. Been out fishing all night long. He wanted to go home. And now this guy just up and gets in his boat and starts teaching. Now, I don't know what Peter was doing while Jesus was teaching. I get the idea. This is just my vision. That Peter was in the back of the boat doing fisherman stuff. He may have been listening. You know, to Jesus, he may have been, but he was probably still tending to nets and getting things ready. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, let's go out and let's go fishing. And Peter says, sir, (laughs) you ain't no fisherman. Well, that's not what he said, but that's what he meant. That was the tone behind what Peter said. We've been fishing all night long. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll do it. I don't think, and I could be totally wrong. I don't think Peter expected to catch a single fish. I don't think he had any real faith that this venture of throwing the nets over was going to produce a large catch of fish. But what he did have was enough faith, respect, maybe, to do what the gentleman asked. And he cast the the nets out. You know, the Bible is full of stories Of God using people with less than awesome faith. Even an insincere faith. We go back to the story of Jonah. I just love the story of Jonah. God tells Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh. And Jonah decides he's going to run away instead. And so God creates the storm and prepares the great fish and Jonah is cast overboard and Jonah spends three days and three nights, you know, in the belly of the big fish. And then the fish up chucks him on the ground, uh, you know, up on land, spits him up. And God says a second time, Jonah, why don't you go to Nineveh and preach to those people? And Jonah does it. But Jonah was no more happier about doing it then than he was before. He hated the Ninevites. He didn't want them to repent. He didn't want to give God the opportunity to relent from what God was going to do. He wanted God's judgment to be brought on the Ninevites. He was totally, I believe, totally insincere in his preaching to the Ninevites. I don't believe that Jonah was begging them, please repent, please repent. God is going to bring this punishment on you. And I don't want to see these horrible things happening to you. Listen to me. I am begging you repent. No. I think Jonah walked to the town and said, you don't want to hear about God, do you? 
You're not interested in repenting, are you? But God used even an insincere faith to accomplish his task. You see, in the first part of Jonah, Jonah didn't want to do it and he didn't. In the second part of Jonah, Jonah didn't want to do it, but he did it. Peter didn't really want to go out fishing and cast the nets out that he just cleaned, but he did it. Paul talked about those who preached for selfish motives. And you know what he said? Thank God the gospel is being preached. I don't care what their motives are. They're preaching the gospel. They're telling people about Jesus. I don't care if they're trying to get rich or they want to be popular or they want. I don't care what the reason is. The gospel is being preached. Now they'll have to deal with God. God will deal with them and their motives. But what God is doing is using even somebody with with an insincere motive to accomplish his task. Now, what am I saying here? Sounds like Tim is saying it's okay for us to have insincere motives. That's not what Tim is saying. But Tim is saying that sometimes we don't always feel faithy. Do we? We don't always feel like we're this this larger than life person full of faith. And sometimes we just need to do what God tells us to do. And let him work it out. Let him use it. Now, is Peter's faith going to grow? Yeah. Peter's faith is going to grow. God does not want us to start and stop with insincere faith. But God is okay with us starting there. As long as we will allow him to move us along the scale of faith as it is. Peter had an insincere faith when he started. Turn to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. You already know this is one of my... Well, it would help if I turned to Matthew, not Mark. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, Matthew 14, beginning verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out with fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt We see in this story that Peter had an impulsive faith. You know, we see that throughout 
Peter's kind of ministry with Jesus. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was kind of dozing off and he wakes up and he sees Elijah and Moses and Jesus. And, and he says, should I, should I make three tents for y'all? Well, that doesn't seem just totally off the wall. But God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You don't put my son even on the same plane as Moses and Elijah. And you remember in the upper room when Jesus was coming around and he was washing the disciples' feet. And everybody was embarrassed, right? Everybody was already embarrassed that Jesus was washing their feet. But when he got to Peter, Peter said, "Uh uh-uh. You're not going to wash my feet. I felt, I imagine he felt pretty. And I imagine there were other disciples. Man, I wish I'd have said that. I wish I'd have said that. But Peter, Peter said it first. And then you remember what Jesus said? If I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And Peter said, give me a bath then. Just, just wash me down. Hose me down. Impulsive. They're in the garden. The soldiers come. Peter pulls out the sword, cuts off the man's ear. Impulsive. Now, let me ask you something. Is an impulsive faith or is being impulsive good, bad, or neutral? I think being impulsive is neutral. It depends on the situation. It depends on on what the situation demands. I'm driving down the highway, 70 miles an hour. All of a sudden, the car right in front of me slams on its brakes. Is it time for me to be impulsive? Yeah. If I take time to think about whether or not I ought to stop. Whether or not, of course, now we got cars that are going to stop for you. <laughs> Pretty cool. But anyway, you know, yeah, it's time to be impulsive. I think there are times when God wants us to be impulsive. I think back to David and Goliath. Don't you love that story? Goliath. Goliath had been coming out for 40 days and 40 nights, twice a day, yelling at the Israelites, you know, send somebody out to meet me. None of the Israelites would. David, you know, the little boy, he was just there to bring food to his brother, shows up. He hears it, and boy, he is hopping mad. How can you people let this person defy our God? And he says, let me go out. He goes to Saul. King Saul, let me go do it. And King Saul says, you're a kid. You're a kid. He's been a warrior his whole life. I don't know about you. But whether I liked the president or I didn't like the president, it wouldn't matter. If I was standing face to face with the president, I would be intimidated. You know what I mean? David is a boy. And he's standing face to face to the king. And the king says, you can't go. You're just a little boy. And David says, the bear came and I killed it. The lion came and I killed it. And I'll kill that giant. 
too. And he convinces Saul to let him go. And then the smack that David talks to Goliath. He gets up. He doesn't shy away. He runs towards Goliath. And Goliath is insulted. I've been out here 40 days and 40 nights telling you to send the best you got. And this little boy is the best you got. Goliath says, get away from me. David said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to chop your head off. And all the birds are going to nibble on your carcass. Whoa. Impulsive. But it was the right thing to do. In the case of Peter, it was the right thing to do. Sometimes God wants us to be impulsive. God wants us to go out on a limb. God wants us to jump out of the boat. But now we've got to be careful. Because if we don't let our impulsive faith grow, our impulsive faith can be shot down in a hurry. Peter had that impulsive faith. And I won't take anything away from Peter. Any of you walked on water? I only know of two people ever walked on water. Jesus and Peter. But he lost his faith. When that impulsiveness went away, he began to sink. Elijah is on Mount Carmel facing the 450 prophets of Baal and he's taunting them and he's yelling at them and he's saying, your God can't hear you. Maybe he's on a vacation. Maybe he's sleeping or whatever. And then he calls the fire down from heaven and whoosh, the sacrifice is gone. And he calls the Israelites to arm and they kill the 450 prophets of Baal. Kind of an impulsive faith. Next thing we find, Elijah, he's hiding in a cave, scared to death because Jezebel said she was going to kill him. So I think an impulsive faith is okay. It's got to go beyond that, however. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 23. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied to him, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter, impulsive, first one to speak, answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he warned his disciples to tell any, not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Oh, don't we wish the story stopped right there. From that point on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and raised the third day. Peter took him aside 
and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And what I see from this is that at this moment in time, Peter has an ignorant faith. Ignorant in the sense that he doesn't understand what Jesus' purpose is. Now, just before the whole get behind me Satan thing, Peter was asked, Jesus asked, who do people say I am? And he had picked up enough. He had learned enough. His faith had grown enough that he said, you are the son of God. I believe that. I have faith in that. And Jesus said, you're right. I am the son of God. And I got to go to Jerusalem. And the elders and the teachers of the law They're going to do some horrible things to me. And eventually they're going to kill me. And at that point, Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. I just said you were the Christ. I said you were the son of God. And I have this image of what the Christ is. I have this image of who the son of God is supposed to be and what's supposed to happen to him. And it has nothing to do with you going to Jerusalem and dying. That's not part of my plan. You see how Peter's faith has kind of taken a negative turn from the very beginning. When Jesus said, let's go fishing. Peter was like, I don't get that. Fished all night. But because you said so, we'll do it. Now, Peter doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. And instead of just listening, instead of just accepting it, Peter decides he's going to take matters into his own hand. I've got this figured out now. I know what the Christ is supposed to be, what the Son of God is supposed to do. And I'm not ever going to let you die. It's not going to happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. There are always going to be times when we don't understand why God does certain things or wants us to do certain things. Moses. God told him one time, strike the rock and water will come out. So he strikes the rock Water comes out. God tells him the next time, speak to the rock. And Moses says, why would I want to do that? I struck the rock last time. It worked last time. I'm just going to strike the rock instead of speaking to it. He didn't get to enter the promised land. Abraham. God kept telling him and Sarah, you're going to have a kid. You're going to have a kid. You're going to have a kid. Years and years and years and years rock along, no kids. So they decided to take matters into their own hands. They didn't understand. There are going to be times when we don't understand God. We don't understand why he's working in a particular way. Why he's allowing this to happen in our lives. But we have to trust him. We have to have faith in him. We have to, maybe that will motivate us to study more. 
so that we can understand God better. We also see in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 54. Then seizing him, this is Jesus' arrest, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, but when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him. You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. The word of the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You would disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Move to John chapter 21. Beginning in verse 15. When they had finished eating, John said, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And Jesus, and he answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I loved you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. In these two passages, we see an injured faith. Can you imagine the feeling of Peter when he made that third denial and immediately the rooster crowed and he was close enough that he could see and make eye contact with Jesus. Jesus was in the middle of a trial. Jesus was being questioned by the high priest and all these different things going on. I don't know that Jesus heard the conversation in the courtyard. But perhaps he heard the rooster crow. And he turns around and he looks at Peter. I've often wondered, I've asked you the question, what kind of look do you think it was? And I told you so, look. A Peter, you're worthless look. A how could you look? I don't think so. I think it was a Peter, I love you, look. But I don't think that's how Peter took it. I don't care how Jesus looked at him, I think Peter took it as an I told you so, look. Jesus was saying, I love you, but all Peter could think about is, how have I let you down? How have I disappointed you? And after the death and the resurrection and all that, Peter's trying to figure out what to do. He doesn't know what to do. He's ashamed, I imagine. He's hurt. His faith is is damaged. And so he decides he's going to go fishing. That's all he knows. 
And Jesus meets them there and he cooks breakfast for them. And then three times Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And I, I've told you this. I've told you everything I know. But I've told you this before. To me, the power of that whole conversation is not in Jesus asking Peter, do you love me? The power in that conversation is not Peter three times saying, Lord, you know I love you. The power in that conversation is that three times Jesus says, feed my sheep. Peter, you messed up big time. You know it. I know it. You know I know it. But we're not dwelling on that. We're moving forward. We're going to take that faith that has been injured and damaged and we're going to do great things with it. And then you find in Acts chapter 2 and beginning of verse 14, Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost and beginning to preach to the people the first gospel message. And in Acts chapter 4, as he and John are standing before the Sanhedrin and they tell them, do not preach this name again. And they say, you judge for yourself who we must obey, God or man. As for us, we cannot help but talk about what we've heard. And so his faith became an in, I, the word I used was inconceivable. Considering all that he had gone through, that now he's standing up on the day of Pentecost, that now he's standing before the Sanhedrin and before the council and he is testifying about Jesus Christ and he doesn't care what anybody thinks. He doesn't care what they might do to him. And a little while later, God is going to test his faith again. He's going to say, Peter, I want you to go preach to a Gentile. Whoa. Not only does Peter go and preach to Cornelius, but he comes back and he defends himself boldly before the Jews who would have said, that was an awful, terrible, wrong thing to do. Can we ever get to the point that we have an awesome faith? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I don't know. I don't think I'll ever get to the point that I do from time to time struggle and ask questions. Believe that I can get to a point where, where I have the faith to do amazing things. Not me, but God through me. If I will allow God to use me and use what faith I have at what starting point I am, God wants to use all of us. God has a plan for all of us. But we have to let him work with us. He be intimidated because our faith isn't as strong as somebody else's or doesn't measure up to, to this person or, or that experience. God will take us where we're at. Use what faith we have and do great things. Remember what he said. If you have faith as of a mustard seed. I don't know anything about mustard seeds, but I hear they're small. I hear they're small. Yeah, faith is of a mustard seed. And remember what Jesus said 
as he's pulling Peter up from the water. O ye of little faith. But I go back to look at what Peter did with that little faith. He got down out of the boat and he walked on water with just a little faith. If you're here this evening, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.